0: Like, in the early 90s, I had some notoriety as a rave person. Yeah, yeah. And then in the mid-90s, I put out this record, Everything is Wrong, that did well in a very strange way. Meaning, like, it didn't sell that well, but, like, it got some good reviews. I did Lollapalooza that year. Right. And I feel like by 99, most journalists had just... It wasn't even that they necessarily had animosity towards me. They just weren't interested. Yeah, like you just weren't like, on their you just didn't come up on their meter. I was sort of like a vague footnote from something they might have been doing six years ago. Right. And so I mean there were some journalists who were like just straight out aggro there like, you know, people yeah. saying, Why bother? Why would I talk about this guy? Yeah. I, you know Um So it started I remember the first show that we did was playing downstairs at the Virgin Megastore in Union Square. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, oh, yeah and I remember I think those. 50 people came yeah. 40 50 oh, people yeah um, so yeah it started so slow that it I mean like I I thought that before play came out I was convinced my career was done and I because I literally I was like I was like well my last couple of records tanked yeah and this record is so weird and lo fi and at the time like the late 90s was the time of like the huge huge produ- hugely produced records mm-hmm. you know whether it was backstreet boys or limp biscuit or marilyn manson or whatever you know, like these records that people definitely were, people were spending millions of dollars just to produce the record mm-hmm. and sonically you know like these guys like michael Beinhorn, sure you know like and the tom lord algae these people are being brought in who are like the best producers the best mixers the best engineers spending millions of dollars and play was made in a bedroom on a Soundcraft Spirit board. Yeah. That this the mixing desk play was made on mm-hmm. was probably about a third of a the budget that most people would spend on one day making a record. Or you know? or the meals they ate that yeah. day. Yeah. So it was like literally like the most low budget weird, low-fi, badly recorded, badly mixed record. Um, and so I just record I put it out I don't I really really I was like I should start thinking about going back to school at some point I totally empathize yeah. I, I, I I've definitely
1: had, yeah it's not the first time in my life that I've had these oh like- I uh, what time is it I mean I, yeah. I you know I've had these feelings you know on a recurring uh-huh. basis from for years but it's interesting because you know I I don't know from one artist to another like especially one that's I was coming from a world where I listen I worked on those Records. I worked on those records where Mm -hmm. like we would have, you know, uh, in a month's time like a $20,000 budget for meals, like ridiculous, you know, and I remember sort of discovering, you know, I lived in France for a while and I just, you know, I remember, honestly, I I remember hearing your stuff in the early 90s and then I was living in Europe touring with all these French pop stars as a bass player, Hmm. like, You know, guys who were selling like two, three million records, you know, you don't Mm -hmm. necessarily know who they are, but gigantic, you know, European pop stars. And I remember hearing this sort of thing that was bubbling around where it wasn't indie rock, but it wasn't like, I didn't, people didn't really really know what to call it, because rave culture didn't really have, none of it really had names. It was like, well, he makes house music, and this guy's making Mm -hmm. techno, and then electronica happened, and that was so annoying in the mid-90s, but Mm -hmm. long story short, I remember being over there and like seeing daft punk like in a club playing to like 40 people i mean Mm -hmm. like it was literally and i knew that what i was doing for a living talk about knowing that you needed to change your job i was like records are going to be gone records and this concept of community in making records it's going to be it's it's i just you just i just saw the fade i was like oh Mm -hmm. my god um i'm not going to be doing sessions anymore what am i going to do so you know i started
0: buying gear and you know well it's funny that whole idea of necessity being the mother of invention yeah yeah. um and and this might sound a little wishy-washy but like most people when confronted with either their shortcomings or like in the like for example in the mid 80s all i wanted was to be a singer-songwriter I can say like, yeah. that was my dream. I would listen to Aztec Camera and like Echo and the Bunny Man like, Morrissey, yeah. and all I wanted was to I really, that's what, I wanted to be signed to some indie label yeah. and make like Faye, little acoustic guitar records. At the same time, I was DJing, so I would spend like half my time as a musician making singer-songwriter stuff, mm. and then the other half working on dance music and hip-hop but my heart really was in the sort of like singer-songwriter stuff, but no one liked it. <laughs> like literally, I I, I remember... Crickets. In, no. in like 86, I sent out 30 or 40 demo tapes to different record companies, and the only people who responded were Disney Records. Really? And their response was a form letter saying, we don't accept um, demos. demos. Unsolicited demos. That was demos. the only response I... Like, So at least I was like, well, at least they had the time to like put a letter in the mail, a form letter. But then in like, I remember like 88, I had some friends over and I was playing my singer songwritery stuff. And you could tell they were indifferent. And then I played some of the electronic dance music and they all got excited. And it was a similar sort of like, oh, maybe I should focus on this. (laughs) You know, because like I could keep like the same way you could have kept going as a session musician yeah. you know having that be your only gig yeah and it wouldn't i just didn't want to also, yeah and really it, it yeah. would have and ultimately like because the times were changing like you would have ended up very frustrated i assume
1: well you know? i would have ended up frustrated and i would have ended up very broke i think yeah because or i would ended up you know touring with any number of people and just being like i, I can only make a living touring now mm-hmm. and, and i my, hating doing that as much as I do, there was no way that that, mm-hmm. uh, that was going to be... And also, listen, unlike yourself, I grew up in a, in a family that was in, in in the industry. So I definitely, you know, my father would, would basically... I watched him not work for about eight years, mm-hmm. just couldn't get a gig, you know? And that really informed, you know, sort of my, like... Uh, the, well, if I'm gonna do this, I gotta be able to. I have to be able to switch things up every four or five years if I need to, mm-hmm. because it's a cyclical thing. Like, you know, if you were to look at what was going on in the mid '90s and you would look on what's going right right now, I mean, it's it, it's yeah. you know, totally different thing. But I remember being like, I I really love being a bass player, mm-hmm. but I think I'm far more interested in. The technology and the gear and and i knew that i was going to be giving up this notion of like i really miss i mean to this day going into a studio with a full band a really competent engineer a producer mm-hmm. that takes the weight off of me like not producing it's an
0: incredible experience i mean i don't know how much of that you you've I, ever really done oh I, I do i do tons of it i just right. never release it like i <laughs> why not um because it's well oftentimes like for fun i mm-hmm. I'll go in I'll like rent a studio for a day and mm-hmm. just round up a bunch of musicians, be like, Hey, let's hear some new songs, hear some old songs, let's just play around. Mm. Um, or like find friends who are singer songwriters and go into the studio with them and right. ostensibly be a producer, engineer. Right. But like I, I still love and part of it the main reason is I just love studios. Me too. Like there's something so yeah. nice about like It doesn't even really matter what the studio is like. I remember last time I was in South America, we had a day off in Santiago, Mm. and I was like, hey, we have a day off, let's go into a studio. Great. And we looked around and they're like, well, technically there aren't any. (laughs) Um, We found one and it was like a TV production studio. And I was like, we've got a day off, let's just record and see what happens. And like, so you spend 10 hours recording and you don't end up with anything you're gonna use, but at least it's like 10 hours in a studio is much more enjoyable much more satisfying than like 10 hours in the hotel room checking facebook you know <laughs> that's, yeah that's my issue yeah or maybe even most a lot of the time well see
1: that's weird because i know we're creatures of also you know i can stare at a laptop for 10 hours and come out with you know two fully realized productions mm-hmm. in that same amount of time but that's not my goal that's just the reality that i'm in now if i want to make the kind of records that i'm making i've kind of you know it's kind of like they say you paint yourself into a corner in a way Mm -hmm. you know i mean that's not really true i have a lot of musicians that i could draw from and i'm sure i could go in and do certain kinds of recordings but you know that whole sort of industry you know listen if you had gone to santiago You know, if you were in Chile like 15 years earlier, you would have found a studio, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, like, chances are you...
0: And that's, to a large extent, one of the reasons why I moved here. Yeah. Because, I mean, New York has some studios, but they just keep closing down. Yeah. Um, You know, it's just this rate of attrition where, like, all of the stuff I either grew up with in New York is gone Mm. or about to go away. You know, yeah. like just like left and right it's sort of like uh, grace the, papaya clothes day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying not that we would ever eat there but it's like it's like but it's like the rapture almost you know it's like these <laughs> you these know what it is places just get taken away and turned into nail salons in Bank of America yeah it, it, it,
1: a whole other topic but it's New York is we're in another gilded age mm-hmm. you know it's just the flavor of this one is a little different than you know the turn of the 20th century it's just you know or the 1880s. It is weird. I, I moved away from New York for different reasons, but, you know, I, I do think it's funny. And I don't know if you ever worked in this studio, but the Hit Factory was a really famous. Oh, yeah. Okay. So did you work in the older 54th Street? They're both in 54th, but there was one Fifty Fourth in Broadway and one Fifty Fourth, I
0: believe, between 10th and 11th. I'm sure. I mean, I sort of get them a little bit confused because then yeah. there was Unique oh that Times that's, Square. yeah that was yeah, yeah. Oh, I loved that joint they cool. had bulletproof glass because it was such a disaster oh, it was a but total like, toilet but somehow like it worked like it yeah it was good but um Hit Factory I worked I remember I worked with <sighs> Lucy
1: Cru- uh what was it Julie Cruz at unique remember Julie Cruz yeah. from the yeah. I, I, from I produced a Julie Cruz thing at unique and I remember walking in the guys like you can't go in the room until you pay and I was like, I felt like I was like in a Chinese takeout delivery like
0: place yeah, no, in a, in a bad neighborhood. I was like, all right, uh, sorry. And you'd walk in, there'd be like those like dirty black leather couches, and like <laughs> a, an old pool table covered in like cigarette burns. But like people made good records there. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, but Hit Factory, I remember I went to the one where John Lennon had made. That's the old double one. fantasy. That's the old one. You know, and that's the that, one that looked like someone, a studio. And someone took me in and said, like, this is the piano that John Lennon yeah. played. The white grand yeah um, I was like whoa wow I was like I honestly didn't know that it was possible. I just must have been like 92 or 93 I didn't know yeah. it was possible for like non rock stars such as myself to actually like be in the presence uh, of a studio like that
1: yeah, yeah. well that's the beauty and here's the thing so I grew up in those places I mean I grew up going uh-huh. to that hit factory place hit factory place I went to Hit factory studios from 80 I was about nine years old until I was about 20, maybe until about that time. Mm -hmm. And it was a very interesting way to get a real window into the world of musicians and the people around musicians and artists and, you know, uh, the studios were actually it was an interesting thing a lot of people could get in there like you know you're very humble in a lot of ways I don't think people know you, you know, I know you do the little idiot and all that kinda of stuff but you know mm-hmm. I, I spent a lot of time in those places and there were real communities in there and it was a real it, it was a great way to grow up I, mm-hmm. I liken it to sort of growing up in a baseball dugout like you know my dad just happened to be the grumpled you know grumpy old guy yeah. spitting tobacco you can get in the corner kid watch but the interesting thing is, the reason why I brought up the Hit Factory is that it was in its last sort of version, uh, it essentially, when you would walk in, I remember I was wa- working on a Luther Vandross record and I, and I went in and, and it looked like a hotel lobby. And they had turned it into this such a high-end, like mm-hmm. catering to like the Mariah Carey's of the world kind of place that... Um, it was funny, they ended up selling the building and they, they became condos. Oh, con-
0: yeah, well, right? Then I actually spent quite a lot of time there after it became condos. Cause, really? Because Gibson no. bought the Hit Factory. Gibson Oh, Guitars. I didn't know that. And for a while, a good friend of mine was worked at Gibson mm-hmm. yeah. and said, Oh, we're not allowed to rent any of these studios, Uh-oh. but if you want to use them, they're there. Well, not for recording, for rehearsing. Sure, because the so, gear
1: is already gone at that point for the most yes, part. so I mean, like you'd walk,
0: yeah. So you'd walk into the control room and it'd just be like an empty control room with no equipment. But they're like, well, wow. They, but they're like, we technically, because of our lease, can't use these for commercial purposes. But oh. they would basically let. I know, I did. All of their Gibson artists. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's kind of amazing. Like you'd walk in, they'd be like, "Well, do you want a guitar?" Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Here's an SG. So as a result, yeah, I've got like a real SG. I've yeah. got like ten <laughs> SGs just floating around that like I think they've they've since oh like, no, no no I'm sure it's there yeah that's changed like, greatly but. but like so I would that was my sort of like rehearsal space really for a quite I, a long I time. never yeah. knew
1: that there was a period of time where that was used that way I always just assumed it turned into like because it just cracked me up I figured it already looked like a hotel they didn't really need to do much they could just sort of put some drywall up and sell yeah. these places it's still there oh
0: as yeah a rehearsal space basically Wow
1: Yeah. I had no idea incredible but yeah the new york has changed i mean i remember one, you know one of the last times i hung out with you in new york i don't know if you remember this but you had teeny and i came down and we were playing scrabble mm-hmm. and you're a scrabble bully my friend you you are you are a scrabble nazi and i don't know it, it, wow
0: but well nazi has such negative connotations no it doesn't How come about, on it's the new fun thing um i at that time was like i was in a relationship and yeah. my girlfriend at the time we didn't well we didn't I, speak I to each to say, other we, we didn't, just played scrabble. Yeah, we didn't really we didn't really like each other that much Aww. we just had like one of these sort of like dynamic like liquor and basically our relationship was like liquor drugs arguing and scrabble and we so we played and at one point i remember we were sitting in teeny and one of the teeny, we were playing some game, like maybe oh. gin rummy, and the teeny employee walked over and said, like, he said, like, you guys know you are the most boring couple on the planet. because <laughs> like, we were just, like, I we didn't really talk. We just wow. drank a lot. So by night, it was like drink and do drugs and have dysfunctional stuff go on. And then during the day, like, be hung over and play Scrabble. Wow. Well, I caught you during the, maybe... Sort of going into maybe
1: the night version of it i caught the mm-hmm. end of the scrabble and i actually spilled a beer on your lap which i still apologize for oh, but I care yeah you didn't care but you kicked my ass in scrabble but yeah. i had also never played yeah there that was not fun but
0: i had a there was a like a three-year period where a lot of my friends really got into playing very competitive scrabble like and it wasn't a lot of times it wasn't fun like it was just way yeah. too competitive and people were like people started cheating and started to get like, just because like <laughs> everyone got way too caught up in it and what yeah. i thought was interesting it was like people you wouldn't expect to be obsessive yeah. scrabble players you know like some of the cool kids oh, yeah. you know like i had this for years um i played online scrabble with uh which one of the beastie boys not mike d the other one mike oh no adam adam Horwitz. adam Horwitz, yeah. yeah so for years and like we both promised to each other that we wouldn't cheat <laughs> And I'm sure that we did. you have
1: know. you roomfuls of, like, you know, interns, you know, like, yeah. you're looking up. Yeah, I, I could see that. A little, little too much time on your hands, a little too much drink, a little yeah. too much... It's like, it got, it got,
0: it's it's such a nerd, you know, it's it's the epicenter of nerdism. But as a result, I think I know every two-letter word in the dictionary. So. <laughs> That's great. Well,
1: yeah. Oh, man. But I just remember that was a time where, you know, I. I'm thinking you know what era is this it's like that's when the fade in then it wasn't because of Scrabble or any nerdy things New York started to feel different right around because you're you're you know the, the restaurant was in an area that was really very rapidly gentrifying and and yeah. and, and it was you know the like luxury hotels I remember once I caught one of those giant developments on like B and somewhat like B and somewhere where a lot of poor people still lived, mm-hmm. they were putting up something that was like you know a million eight for the small unit kind yeah. of places, and they, I busted them using a song of mine on their website. Mm-hmm. You know my buddy Red Boy was just like, yo, here's a website, you got to check this out, mm-hmm. and and like, I just remember it, it, I felt the extreme greed coming in around this. There was a lot of money left over from the tech bubble going into this whole you know yeah yeah you know, I started I started doing my slow fate you know, leaving New York then I, I think I upped my travel time around
0: then do you know, you know one of the things that made even when New York was know, the helicopters like they're out right here okay. um popo <laughs> that's, it's probably paparazzi well there's actually because Van fan Nuys and Burbank airport sure a lot of the People I love you me. come to this beautiful place and you're in a flight pattern.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you might as well be living
0: near yeah. Shay. And it's funny, I actually have a rat issue here. Yeah, I believe that. Because apparently the, the hills are just filled with rats. So this yeah. is kind of funny, like I <laughs> I moved to LA. I love that the Hollywood Hills are t- cause figuratively and literally. They're filled so, with rats. Um, but what made, as New York slid into sort of like hedge funds and gentrification, yeah. Made me not notice it for a while as I was just either drunk or on tour. Yeah, and like, and you also
1: moved away for a little. I came to like a. You had a housewarming party. I felt like oh, you on got Oh, Central a, Park West. No, no, I never went there, and I don't mean to point. But I, no, no, it was like up in.
0: I had a. I had a, a, a house, a proper home. I bought this crazy house in upstate <laughs> yes. New York, and I turned it into like, just a den of yeah, degeneracy. Yeah. We had. We turned the garage into a disco. Yeah. I turned one of the bedrooms into like a sauna steam room thing. Yeah. I mean, like it was just, but that was like the height of like my- You're a lunacy. Crazy drinking and et cetera. And yeah. it was yeah. really fun. Like, I'm glad yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine in AA and we were saying like, it's kind of amazing that we're able to like punish ourselves for so long yeah. and emerge relatively unscathed. Yeah. You, the expression he had, which I love, is like, we danced with the devil and we just got blisters. You
1: know? <laughs> yeah. I never, you know, I was really surprised. I hadn't seen you for a couple of years and I saw you and you, I don't know at what point of your recovery you were in or whatever. But you said, you know, hey, you know, I've, I've been going through, you know, I went through uh-huh. some stuff and I was like, I never knew you that way. We never hung out. That way, I mean, we definitely had our fair shares of maybe I started off your evening
0: and I got a little buzzed and then you went somewhere else, but I never really remember that, but. I remember one night going to a hotel off Bryant Park. Mm-hmm. It actually was like four days, it, was, it would have been September 2001. Yeah, yeah. It was right before oh, September Oh man, 11. I remember emailing with
1: you, Dorn. Yeah, it was gnarly. we
0: went to a hotel bar and I was dating a woman named Katie. Mm-hmm. And, because basically this is the thing, all my friends, when I decided to stop drinking. Yeah. Well they, I mean, you lose a lot of friends, don't you? Well they they were all confused. They were like, but none of them thought that I had a problem. Right. And Neither the, did I. The issue was I would go out with them until midnight. Yeah. And they would be responsible and go home at midnight and I would stay up until seven or eight in the morning. Uh. Ah. And so like by midnight I was you know, I'd only had three or four drinks. Yeah. But then from midnight until seven I would have another like ten drinks. So I was averaging like like at least like 15 drinks a night like drinks not like beer not oh, i like beer a lot too I, I would i mean like many alcoholics i figured out how to drink in such a way that i wouldn't black out because i really liked hmm. drinking and being drunk so i would sort of like drink in this in a weird way sustainable way that <laughs> would sustain me throughout the night so i would like sure pace myself yeah. and if i started to get too drunk it's like okay i'm just gonna calm down for a minute because i want to keep going sure you know so most people when they start to get too drunk they go home or and do a lot like, of cocaine yeah i would do that yeah. too yeah um, that's the english uh, you know yeah theory do a lot of cocaine drink a glass of water and then go back to drinking more yeah. so but yeah all the, the the bad stuff really happened between like one in the morning and eight in the morning so the freaks came out at night
1: yeah, it, it, literally. See, I never caught any of that. I mean, a couple times. Although, I don't know if you remember this, and I can't imagine how drunk you were, but you did step on my neck one night at uh, oh, at, yeah. at my... Uh, I remember which that. Also, I yeah. have to say, and this is going on record, you're the only person I've ever met that brought a date to a bachelor party. Uh, Yeah. That's weird. (laughs) That was funny. And who was your friend? Your friend from the artist, the really talented artist? Damien Loeb. Damien, yeah. He was there, and I was just like, well, here comes a trio of trouble. And you stepped on my neck, and I was Uh, like, I'm going to kick
0: his ass. I (laughs) I think I was sort of blacked out. Yeah. Yeah, You would never
1: step on my neck. I probably would. I'm not much of a neck stepper. No. Not a half stepper. Yeah. Don't half step because I'm not a neck stepper. Yeah, (laughs) that was weird. That was, I never admit that I was like, i was like richard you know that mm-hmm. was like i'll cross the line and not even be like that dude that was weird but so yeah i guess man i, I just never knew because i you know listen i you know, really 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 close friend of mine who actually was put that party together hal wilner oh, i yeah. i watched hal i see Hal. on a regular basis right um, um for, in when i LA see
0: terms you know i mean when i was in new york i would see him a lot and he i apologize for interrupting but he's no, right. such makes it work an unsung Legend, like the yeah. stuff that he does and the stuff that he thinks of doing, like he's just yeah. like I really feel like there was a time where I feel like there were a lot of Hal Wilners out there, or a healthy handful, a healthy definitely. of people doing similar. Like every time you'd see them, they'd be like, Oh, I'm doing yeah. a concert with the Dalai Lama and in, Lou Reed, yeah, and, and like this, you know, here comes Allen Ginsberg,
1: and all you know, something, yeah.
0: Weird that seemed commercially viable, but was really interesting. I just mm. don't know I mean, I guess oddly enough LA I feel like that stuff still happens here. You know why because and I'm actually I'm gonna sit down with Christy from um,
1: UCLA has in the lat, the, the, you know the whole Was it Royce Hall and their whole Arts mm-hmm. Center thing? UCLA and actually because in, in a lot of ways because of a guy named David Sefton from England and and how they really upped the arts scene in LA in the last 15 mm-hmm. years and and Christy Edmonds came in from Australia she ran the oh God I really wish I knew the name but you know the Leonard Cohen film that got made with, yeah. you know the so that's I'm, how I'm man that's how Hal. yeah. that's Hal's concert how mm-hmm. Hal basically really was the guy that he doesn't they're not tribute concerts they're like concerts in the style of it yeah you know and i think there's a huge distinction between that because i think it's really easy to have a tribute concert and it's like yeah, a bunch of schmucks playing and, you know kumbaya he I, i've been in a part of about 10 of his shows you know in varying mm-hmm. as an artist as a sideman as as, a, as helping him do the show and it's great to hear someone like you Someone like you, you. I've called you a Nazi and I've said someone like you in the same interview. No, but it is, he is, he's unsung. And there really aren't, you know, I think nowadays, you know, the version of him would be like T-Bone or, you know, there's like a pop culture version of it where, Mm -hmm. you know, there's this auteur, you know, kind of thing, but Hal's amazing. But he was also, coming back full circle, a raging junkie, yeah, like a raging, raging junkie. And I remember I moved to New York when, when did you move to New York? I was born there.
0: I know you were born, you were born in uh, Harlem or? 148th street in 1965. And then I moved to San Francisco with my mom in 69. Really? Okay. For the summer of love, <laughs> the second summer of love. And then we moved back to Connecticut where she had grown up in I guess like 70 or 71. Oh, wow. And I basically lived in Connecticut until about 1987 thereabouts then i moved so i moved back to new york to 14th and third in like 87 or 88 great at the height of the crack great great epicenter Um, of yeah one of my my my, like when i talk to young people in new york because like oddly i mean what's weird about what's one of the things that's so strange about new york is it's the same place but completely different yeah you know what i mean like like if you stand at the corner of 14th and third like it doesn't look all that different no I mean sure there's some new buildings but like generally like it's kind of like the L trains right there yeah. from totally when, agree yeah. so it's a little disconcerting when something is both profoundly familiar and profoundly unfamiliar yeah, um, yeah. but so when I first moved in um, this is a story I like to tell the young people in New York <laughs> I had an apartment with a th- bunch of other guys, and I paid $180 a month for my room. And we literally got no sunlight. It was on the ground floor facing north. So oh, wow. we didn't know what the day like. So one yeah. morning I woke up and I heard rain, so I got dressed for rain. And I walked outside and it was bright and sunny. <laughs> the truth is, I just heard someone showering. Yeah. So li- exactly. Literally no idea what the weather was. But the shaftway, the sort of like the alleyway next to us, was filled with garbage. Yeah. I mean, literally it had like three or four feet of like yeah. accumulated detritus and garbage. And one night I woke up at like three in the morning and I heard some crack addicts or whatever fighting at like, on like the third floor. Mm. And this one guy saying like, I'm gonna do it. Fuck you, I'm gonna do it. And he jumped out the window. Three stories up. Three stories. High enough to really hurt yourself. And I heard, boom. And I opened up my window and there's this junkie lying there and he's kind of bloody. And I was like, fuck, like I'm half awake. And so I call 911. The emergency people come and from so i'm in my window talking to the emt guys <laughs> while they're like scooping up this junkie and they said like the garbage saved his life ah he perfect. They, they said the garbage if, if they said if, if someone had cleaned out this alleyway yeah. he would have died because he would have hit concrete but they're like he hit garbage and he'll now so yeah so he's I mean, just an idiot yeah. yeah so it's
1: like a that's like the scene from like a bad cop show you know like in jumping into this oh god yeah, that was New York then. Yeah. And that's the New York I moved to. And I remember, you know... Junkies I'm, falling into benign garbage. That's, yeah, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much a basic Wednesday. But I, but I, yeah, it's funny. I saw someone the other day talk about, like, you know, how dare you, Pine, for the old days of, like, you know, disgusting Times Square and all, you know, New York is amazing. Mm. It's never been better.
0: And I'm like, well, I don't really know. And <laughs> it's never been better in terms of, like... It's clean. Yeah, it's cleaner, and it's never been better for white people who make a lot of money. Exactly. It's never yeah. been better. Okay, Werner Herzog had this great quote recently. He said, um, "People in LA make things, and people in New York buy things." Yeah. Which is a gross it's, generalization. Yeah. Clearly, there are a lot of people here who just yeah. buy things, and a lot of people in New York making amazing stuff. But there definitely does seem to be, like, New York is phenomenally cultivated consumer culture you know like i feel like and this is again a gross generalization but like when we were growing up or coming of age people were judged on like the content of their character and their creative output and now i feel like it's all how well you amass money and things yeah you know like and and to new yorkers credits like they're really good at that
1: oh no it's it feel like it's the world's capital of that i mean i friend of mine recently sold an apartment to a couple uh, on the east side you know, for a couple million mm-hmm. dollars and they're just you know, they wanted a pied-à-terre on the east side from their west side place you yep. know, it's like that sort of mentality where yep. I was, you know, it always makes me think of when Chris Rock said, you know, you know, if if, if Bill Gates woke up with Shaq's money, he, like, you know, he'd chewed his whole family, like, you know, it's just, <laughs> like, it's just like, that's well, just always remember someone's writing a check for the bouncy car, it's, mm-hmm. you know it's, it, New York is it's I find it depressing to go back to because New York for me is like, you know, Doc Pomas and Lou Reed and just that certain kind you know, my dad, like, you know, Mm -hmm. when his passing, New York, you know, dies with him for me in a lot of ways. And I think that's normal. It's your your family. But, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, I go back now for, you know, I had a film at a. You know a Tribeca Film Festival and I went back and I spent I'd never I did you ever live on the upper west side or spent any time I did. well you that's right I had an you an had that there place, for
0: a couple but, of years I didn't really stay there that much but right I thought I was gonna live there forever and then I so I spent two years renovating this apartment on Central Park West in 90th, and I'm like I'm gonna live here forever I love it so much mm-hmm. and then I finally moved in and I was like oh it's beautiful but I don't know anyone up here <laughs> and, yeah and so I spent the, the for the time I tried to live on the upper west side I spent all my time Either on like the B or D trains or like in taxis going down yeah. to the Lower East Side with like my friends. Like $28 do. taxi rides. Lots you know? of, lots of, yeah. yeah like 3
1: a.m. stupid expensive taxi Yeah. Rides. I was the whole, I, I lived, the last couple of years I lived in the city, I actually lived in Tribeca and I just remember my, oh, my old man was so funny. He's like, every time I visit you, it's like I, I could fly to St. Louis. This yeah. is ridiculous, you know? But yeah, the, the, I was just gonna say, I would stay on the, I stayed on the Upper West Side for the first time in my life. Like, after being a New Yorker, you know, living in New York City for 25 years. And it was so weird to me because I, I had never known what it was like then, but I caught the current version of it and I just, I hated it, like, top to bottom. I was shocked. You know, it was just this weird.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I, you know, to, you Well, know. I simply, for me, I mean, I think this is why, I mean, because clearly, like, this neighborhood especially is filled with expats. You know, yeah. so many New Yorkers who've moved here. And. What I have accepted is this weird paradox of New York is one of the most beautiful, dynamic, wonderful cities in the world. It's just not for me. Yeah, and That's I think that there's a sadness that comes along with that of saying yeah. like, "Oh, this is the city of my birth. This is the city I revered for so long," and realizing like it's in some ways it's better than it's ever been. Well, it's just not for not me. for you. It's you know? not meant. And for there's there's that sort of wistfulness of like, oh, like when I go back now, like it's weird like when you walk down street i mean like i've walked up and down every street in manhattan a trillion times when sure. you walk up and down these streets and you're like oh this street when i was 20 years old i felt like it was my home and now mm. i'm like i don't know any of these people yeah. i don't know these stores i don't know these restaurants i don't understand this culture so it's i think when people get worked up about new york it's the sadness of feeling like oh, yeah. this was my home it's like loss morning it, loss yeah it's simply just like it's this subtle like like we were invited to the party for a long time yeah. and now like the last time we went to the party we're like oh i guess this isn't my party anymore yeah maybe oh. I, it's a little creepy i'm talking to this girl i'm a little too old yeah <laughs> <laughs> or whatever oh that definitely <laughs> happened to me at max fish
1: oh oh that right yeah max Fi- and that now is max fish gone now
0: max fish that's what is I, gone. I figured i think they're trying to move it to brooklyn i actually uh, had the know randomly brought to you by top shop you yeah. know what is it going to be yeah one of the last times i was in new york oddly enough it was the weekend that both max fish and maxwells closed wow and i thought it was just i was like it's a bad like, weekend for max's bad weekend for max my uncle
1: max max roach yeah it's it, not a good weekend
0: <laughs> um and uh i'm thinking of annie hall <laughs> stop <laughs> calling me max yeah oh, right but max it's a good name for you it suits you um so uh but yeah, somehow I randomly ended up there. So I was able to go to like Max Fish's last night wow. and go to Maxwell's last you, you night. you lived right, I mean, yeah. I remember your place was right there, you yep. know? That, and that certainly, in a wonderful way, enabled and facilitated my drinking. Because you could yeah. go out every night because every bar you wanted to go to is right at your front door. But it also enabled and facilitated extreme creativity. Because, the, the the you know, yeah. that, that
1: neighborhood, especially... I'd say even maybe 10 years before I even knew you, mm-hmm. I mean, I knew that neighborhood. You know, I always sort of got, there's a romance to the dirtiness and the, the yep. reality of Chinatown spilling into Little little, little spilling into, you mm-hmm. know, artists. You know, we used to, I used to be, you know, and I'm sure you've been in a bunch of bands when you were a kid, when I was a kid and I first moved to New York, I was in crappy bands and these crappy bands, you know, Invariably had shitty rehearsal spaces on Rivington that are now places to get frites and mm-hmm. you know like very expensive lattes, but we knew almost to the hour to on the day to the hour when the crack arrests and roundups would be, so mm-hmm. we would be rehearsing, and we'd sort of be like, "Hey, you you want you want a coffee? Let let's go watch the roundup." We yeah. literally would see like fifteen people, like you know, and I'm like, "That that was just the reality."
0: Yeah, so, I mean, well, for a while, and I. I, d- I, do feel like such an old guy, like talking about the way New York used to be. But no, it's it's. Like, um, huh? I lived with an ex-girlfriend of mine on Tenth Street, and Tenth Street between Second and Third, no First and Second, for some reason was ground zero for crack selling. Yeah. And I don't know why, because it's like Tenth cl- and what? Tenth between First and Second, for some reason. I know Tenth between A and B i mean
1: wilner lived on that yeah. block that was he lived on that block for a reason so you're yeah. you're right in there and yeah for
0: some reason like i could know because actually how? kind of like a perfectly <laughs> nice block but it got so bad that yeah. the police started shutting down our block like they would put barricades every like thursday friday saturday night they just put barricades they're just done. And they would only let emergency vehicles through Ugh. Would you have to, like, talk your way yeah, into Yeah, so every your, time like, you get there, you'd have to be, like, you have to show your key and be like, I live at 223 East 10th Street. Yeah. And then please like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know? what was really funny, though, with the crack era, I mean, there are lots of funny things. Like the time, <laughs> Oh, the humor is nonstop stop with crack, please. Well, my, okay, my favorite crack story was I rented an apartment on Mott Street in 1990. Mm. And while I was renting the apartment, my landlord became a crack addict. Oh. And so one time I came home and my apartment had been broken into. And I was like, oh, fuck, my apartment's been broken into. So I changed the locks. A few days later, I got a message from her. Her? I, oh, okay. I, I came home and there were these pry bar marks around the oh. lock. And I got a message from my landlord and she was screaming at me. And she was like, you can't change the locks in your lease. I'm the only one who's allowed to change your locks. And all of a sudden I realized she was the one who'd broken into my apartment because she had become a crack at it. Lady crack. Yeah. And so she had tried to break into my apartment with a pry bar. To, so this is what she did with her tenants. She would yeah. like break into their apartments and steal things. Oh. Um, and at the same time, do you remember on Third Avenue in St. Marks, there was like all the people would s- like sell stolen bikes. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, you yeah. You can buy like a five dollar bike. Yeah, totally. So if you needed a bike, I mean it's kind of unethical, but if you needed a bike, you just walk over there and you buy your ten dollar bike. I remember being on there and someone
1: digging that their bike was being sold and seeing an, an altercation. You know, yeah.
0: that was that was pretty dark actually. Um, ironically, it was probably a bike that he had bought stolen. But, um, <laughs> exactly. But so I bought a five dollar bike, and I was like, I'm going to buy the shittiest bike I can find, mm. one gear. Barely working brakes. I was like, I just need a bike to get around. Mm. And so I took it back to my apartment on Mott Street before my landlord became a crack addict. Mm. And I um, chained it up to a dead tree in front of the building. Because mm. oh. I was going inside for half an hour. And I came back out and I came back out and they'd torn the tree out of the ground. <laughs> for your get $5 for bike. For a $5 bike. That's how,
1: I mean, like. Oh, it's almost, you know. I like the, by the way, I do like the uh, the phrase, before my landlord became a okay. crack It's so a yeah. great beginning to a, uh, a great story. Yeah. yeah, it was an interesting time. And it, you know, definitely, I, you know, I don't pine for, you know, taking a break to see a bunch of people get arrested for a drug that they should never be doing because mm-hmm. unfortunately, economically, they're forced into chasing a cheap high, but it was an interesting time. Yeah, I'm surprised. You know? Dinkins gets a, Dinkins really stepped into the absolute worst timing for the city's first well,
0: black mayor. And, it was a well, funny thing about him as a poor mayor guy. is he was not. like the whitest mayor New York has ever had. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning like In politics. and in, in, in and his obsession was tennis. Yeah. One of the only things I remember him doing Yeah hey, Arthur Ash played tennis. <laughs> yeah. But like um one of the only things Dinkins was credited for is during the US Open yeah. he altered flight paths so they wouldn't fly over right, Forest right, Hills. Right, right. Yeah. So I was like, that's our urban mayor. Yeah. Is that like and while the city is burning and crumbling, he's yeah. watching tennis every single day. Oh yeah. You know, like um, I actually saw him on a plane Oh yeah. About I don't know, fifteen years ago, and he still wears his mayor hat. Like it's a hat really? mayor. I was like, just oh, to say, come like, on. you know, how
1: am I doing when well, I know that's the other guy, but yeah, Koch was like, hysterical. How's um, my driving? Wow, Koch. Oh, he was, you know... What a run run of mayors. I mean, oh. Now the, the mental patient
0: that is Giuliani. Jeez, like, mm-hmm. wow, New York. But anyway, what were you... So I was going to say, I'm really surprised that the crack era... Mm-hmm. I mean, there were a lot of movies made about crack. Yeah. And it's figured, like... But the, but not the actual... What life was like then. Do you like, Remember, yeah. you'd be on the subway, yeah. and there'd be, like, these women who weighed 75 pounds, yeah. like, selling... A, a used Bic pen yeah. and an issue of Popular Mechanics from 1984. Dude, I'm looking for that issue. That, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was so sad mm-hmm. when I would see that. I,
1: I would actually really get just complete. Because, you know, I think coupling that image, it, you seeing something like that and also being, I was like 15. So you're, you're, your reality is like, wow, you know, the, the, how does this exist? Yeah. With all this wealth, even with the city being in a toilet, there, there's always, that city's always had extreme wealth and always...
0: But yeah, it was just, wow. And like the fact that, I don't know if you remember, but there was a time when the city was warehousing buildings. Yeah. Because there were so many abandoned buildings, yeah. and the city took ownership of all these buildings, and you could buy buildings in the East Village for one dollar. That's what uh, Philip Glass did. Yeah, they would sell used, a building. There's two amazing buildings as a result. Yeah, so they'd sell a building for a dollar if you could prove that you had the wherewithal to fix it up, right? Which and, is like you tell uh, New Yorkers that now it's like, so these buildings that now are probably worth ten million dollars. Oh yeah,
1: m- m- some of them minimally. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, you know it's fine. I worked with Laurie Anderson a bunch,
1: and she had a scenario like that where uh, actually she had a scenario similar <laughs> to your crack addicted. I, I believe it was like a landlord that ended up doing c- crack and not paying tax, lost the building. Uh-huh. It was just like she's like, well, I'm here. So she has this. I do Do you know Lori? Have yeah, you ever? So have well. you been to her space? I mean, you know, her her actual studios. And no. I don't stunning. Think so. mm-hmm. Stunning. And you know, just like, it's that the epitome of what you were just talking about. Like,
0: oh, well, you know, for okay. So for my last sort of funny real estate story is, I rented a loft in Little Italy yeah. from this really sweet mafia family. Like they were the sort of like gentle mafia family who would. Sell well, water. they ask you how you're feeling after they break your toes? You no, know, I don't like think you... they ever hurt anybody. They would just like sell water damaged fireworks to NYU students. Like, oh, just, just like, low ends. Mm, yeah, just very gentle. And they always kind of needed money. Mm. So I was renting a studio space from them and they would come to me and say like, Oh, let's make a deal. Like if you give us six months rent in advance, <laughs> we'll let you stay. You know, we'll call that like nine months. Right. And I'd be like, sure, because they're nice, whatever. And then they would come back, like, a year later and be all sheepish. And they're like, H- have we asked you for rent recently? Uh, <laughs> and so I would say, like, no, how about let's do it again? Like, uh, yeah. six months in advance, give me nine months. And they'd come back a year later, the same thing. Like, "Ah, oh, we don't remember the last time we asked you for rent. Oh, god! Like, you poor guys. Boy, have those times
1: completely. In- I remember the last lease I had, they came back to me. And it, my rent went from, like, 2500 to 3500 And it was this, like... You yeah. know get out of here schmuck
0: yeah. leave the building um and my rent for my studio where i actually lived at the time was 525 dollars yeah. yes yeah and one of my other favorite things was when i first moved in livable you could was, actually you could live there i didn't have this. running water in it but oh, i had on. a toilet down the hall that's well, um, what else do you need but it was uh i was talking to this the mafia family who owned the building <laughs> when i first moved in it was like 90 1990 and i was like oh i need to put up bars on the windows and they said like no you don't and i was like no but this is like you know crack and crime and whatever not this and they simply said no this this street's okay yeah love that because all the mafia guys all their grandparents lived on this one block and so there was constant there was always a car parked on the block Mm. with like two young mafia guys and like they so like it was a crime it was a completely crime-free block like anybody tried to do anything these two guys would get out and like make it not happen oh that's amazing um yeah i love that yeah Hmm. the the weird old days
1: yeah but not so weird i mean i miss them but uh, you know life goes on what are you gonna do Mm -hmm. and now now we live in the capital of weird we really do i don't explore it as much as you do i think you're more a little more plugged in uh socially i i I think i I hide my room a lot more than you do
0: that's How's it going? Because oh,
1: well, because yeah. you're
0: married. And I'm a dad. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. I was married and had a you could do child, it. I think I would probably spend a lot more time not going out. Yeah. But, like, but, I, there, yeah. but the thing that fascinates... There's many things that fascin- fascinate about LA, but one of the things is everything is hidden here.
1: Yeah. Whereas other it's cities, like
0: Tokyo yeah. in, in, in that way. Like, it didn't... Everything's hidden. I went to a party the other night. A sentence Uh-oh. I haven't uttered in years. Uh, okay. Go on, yeah. So I went to a party, and it was in a house that, like, hidden, 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 hidden. Like, street, yeah. like, little street to little street to little street. And it was this weird house from the 20s that over the years everyone has lived in. Like, the Rolling Stones used to live right, there. Right, right. Richard Pryor and, lived there, yeah. you know. And it's this, it's crumbling and covered in vines. Like, it sort of looks like Angkor Wat. Nice. Um... But like just completely Anchor hidden. Twat.
1: Yeah. <laughs> For LA,
0: And uh, and it just reminded me, I was like, wow, I really love the fact like almost every other city in the world, it, stuff's on the surface. Yeah. And like New York, like every building is visible from yeah. the street. And here, like like I think people come to LA and they expect it to behave like other cities. Like they expect Yeah. They're like, Oh, where's the interesting stuff that's easy to find? Whereas yeah. all the interesting stuff here is like Hidden down a weird street, down of this, or and also the whole world of like gates. Yeah. I mean, like I, I don't know if you've had this experience where like you get invited somewhere, and there's a gate, and the gate looks really uninspiring. Oh yeah. And then you go through the gate, and there's like this beautiful. Like a friend of mine lives in Silver Lake, and from the street, her house is a garage door and a door from Home Depot. Yeah, that's all you see. You go through the door, and she has a half an acre of manicured Japanese gardens with waterfalls yeah. and a beautiful mid-century house. Wait, we have t- completely different social sta- uh, friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> that's, that's that, really nice. But that's that is but true. That's a, and it's not even. I mean, I think she bought it for like seven hundred thousand yeah. dollars, like fifteen years ago. Right, right. So, but I just, it's most other cities. I think you can judge things a little bit on the surface. Mm. Here. We just don't know, Mm-mm. you know. Like, like for example, um, the, a lot of the studios here, like in Hollywood. Oh can be, man, toilets! You, they look like absolute yeah, toilets. Yeah, like like sound. Is it sound? Fact, sunsets. Not sunset, sunset sound. sound. But the, oh. There's another one that I think sunset sound owns, and from the outside, mm. it looks like a windowless needle exchange. <laughs> like you walk by it, and it literally even. Well, yeah. It's like an it's like like an abandoned windowless. Needle yeah. Exchange. Right. And then you go in and you're like, it's the most be I mean, they have like so much phenomenal equipment. You know, mm-hmm. microphones that cost more than most houses. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, and this is where the Eagles made their records. Yeah, this yeah. This is where so-and-so, but literally like from the outside, you would just think like, okay. Yeah. I'm walking in the ghetto and this yeah. is a, a homeless shelter. You know? Yeah.
1: No, it's very weird. I remember the first time I did a record, I've done like three or four records at Sunset Sound and it's like, I remember seeing the font that horrible orange sign with oh, the yeah. and I felt I was like is this like a bad 70s family restaurant you know it looks like yeah. uh, you know you get like a like a you know, peach cobbler that's about to go spoiled. You know, spoiled. Mm-hmm. And, and a, you, a, yeah, a, an alligator head on the wall with like a cowboy hat on it. Oh, absolutely! Okay. And some sort of eating contest where if you can beat Luby at the rib contest, <laughs> you know, you're all you're good to go. But no, the and then yeah, you're right. You go in and then you get someone goes, oh yeah, Prince made his first three records here and incessantly yeah. played basketball in the courtyard, and you're like, and Van, ha- all I know, I don't know about. Okay, it's where I geek out. I worked in the room where Van Halen did Van Halen one, and I was just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> it was just like you know, an incredible place. But LA, definitely a hidden sort of doesn't mm-hmm. make. And I understand that people want their you know anonymity. And
0: I think it's it's also it's the logistics of it. Like most other cities are flat. Yes. Yeah, here, yeah. like I don't even know how they built roads up in these I, hills. Like uh, parking out
1: front, I ran into a delivery guy in a truck that you know. Was he was, crying? just like basically yeah uh and it's yeah i couldn't you know i can barely drive my prius up your road you know it's, yeah. it's 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 kind of a nightmare but yeah i i had another guy at the bottom i don't remember the name of the street but the a truck driver looking at me today and he was just used to shaking his head yeah and i was like you know i'm like what do i do what do, and he's like it's just like I,
0: you know and it's it's, yeah. it's, it's i once watched uh, i was going out to buy groceries um, and there was a huge moving van mm. at the bottom of the hill trying to come up the road. Like a real, like, United van line. Yeah, lines. like one of like, those, you know, like 18 giant, wheeler. exactly. Yeah. Something you would take out on tour, kind yeah. of, yeah. <laughs> and I drove past it and I was like, oh, this isn't gonna work out well. And yeah. I was out for about 90 minutes. Wow. And I came back and they had moved a quarter mile. Oh. Like, cause they were just like inching, in like they had guys in front and in back saying, yeah, yeah. like, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, it's like some weird game of Tetris they're playing, you know, like trying to. So my. My favorite recent urban experience. Because sometimes we have to remember, like, we live in the city. Oh, no, it's very much so, yeah. The city of, technically, LA County, Orange County, and um, Riverside County. Yeah. This is the biggest megalopolis in the United States. Yeah. Like, it's actually technically LA County is the most populated county in the United States. Mm. Like, it's like 20 million people or something. But, um, so, in the middle of the big city, and I'm going for a hike. First of all, where you don't hike in a city. Oh, yeah. I'm going for a hike and I find yeah, a dis- you hike in a city boulder. You yeah. can hike, that's a city you hike in. Yeah. And I find a disemboweled deer. Oh that has been killed by something. Oh, like mountain like mountain lion. lion or coyotes. Yeah. And it's like it's dead and torn apart. Hate and I'm like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I mean it's nature, but I was like, yeah. I was like, wow, like families hike along here. Like yeah. I need to call animal control. yeah and so, again, another big city thing, like you're going yeah. for a hike, you find a disemboweled deer killed by the native megafauna. Yeah, megafauna, I love that. And then it's then for a band. <laughs> and then I call animal control and they drive up in their animal control truck and they go look at it and they're asking me how, I, how they can take it away. <laughs> they, they can't figure it out, because they're like, right. it's, it's, on a, it's on a trail yeah. where their truck won't go down. Oh. And these guys, and it's like a 200 pound deer. Yeah that's been disemboweled and is lying there all messy. Oh. And to their credit, they figured like- Oh yeah. Took a few trips. Yeah, but, they, like, they gotta do it. Um, I was like, that's, where else? Like, when was the last time someone in London, I love London very much, but like went oh, for a hike were... and found- Wait, if you
1: stopped there.
0: Yeah. When was the
1: last time someone yeah. in London went for a hike? Yeah. But found anything other than, you know, someone really drunk or, you know, yeah. screaming or like looked like someone punching, punching a bus, punching a bus <laughs> or a mighty boosh uh, yeah. cast member. Yeah, it's yeah. L.A. is I mean, I saw a skunk at midnight last night in my front yard. Walking. My, I was walking mm-hmm. Mookie and I was like, uh, we need to go back in. You know, there's a skunk. yeah But uh, L.A. is very interesting. Before we wrap this up, I want to talk to you about one thing. uh, This this recent not the stupid recent thing i saw on an enemy about tom york and you know that sort of manufactured bullshit yeah but i did there was a quote from you in there and i I, i'm going to paraphrase but it's very interesting to me at this point in our lives having established careers thinking of people trying to establish careers Mm -hmm. and you had said something along the lines of you know and i could be wrong just correct me uh that this is a, a great period for musicians mm-hmm. to exist and that if they have the ability to, ability to adapt that this is actually an incredible period and i want to touch on this a mm-hmm. little um i would like you to elaborate on it a little actually um because i kind of don't agree okay and the reason why i don't agree is i think it's an incredibly you you mentioned touring remixing djing Doing video game score, like I think that was a whole bunch of film scores. Film scores are, and I find those all to be increasingly incredibly diff. I mean, I'm in a bunch of those worlds, and I'm lucky enough to actually get those gigs. Not being an expert at actually any of them, but I would be so afraid. Maybe because I'm a fear-ridden Jew, (laughs) but I would be so afraid to try to get into those worlds right now. If I was a band right now. I'd be really nervous if I hadn't established myself, but I want to get more into your thinking about that because I well, first, think it's a weird time. Well, first
0: off, it's my feeling is like there's, I don't know much benefit in, like, if you look at the status quo, like, look at the current music climate. Sure. Um, a lot of the complaints I hear aren't very productive meaning like there are people i agree a lot of like it's a waste people of time. saying like oh but it should be this way and should I was like, is I was a like, horrible word i was like yeah but it it isn't like I, I think it takes like musicians sort of have to step back and in a very clear-eyed objective way assess the climate and say like, oh okay so the old revenue streams a lot of them have dried up they're not as viable like selling records yeah. you know licensing cha- yeah, even licensing you know, isn't that lucrative. Yeah. Um, so, I think someone who wants to make their life in music, first, the first step is look at the climate, objectively assess it, and then figure out how to adapt yourself to it. And that's. Like, for example, when I was growing up, I guess you had an advantage that your dad was in the music business or or an advantage. Yeah, it it unfortunately worked against me a lot of the time. But yes, but but you had been around it. Like, I remember when I was like 18 years old, I didn't know what publishing was. Oh, of course. And I thought the and at the time, I really felt like. Like the music business was a third world country, wherein. 0.001% 0.001% of the musicians had access to all the success, and everybody else was scared and struggling. Right. And I feel like what's happened is it's definitely become a lot more egalitarian. You know? Do you really
1: think that, though? Because I think that right now, we're, it's I think a lot of music business mm-hmm. and a lot of the hyper, hyper success in the music business actually kind of mirrors the country in a lot of ways there is a lot of i hate you one
0: percent or whatever there is a lot I of one percent but i have a, yeah. I, I mean i have a bunch of friends who get by you know yeah yeah i'm one who, of them i you know, mean and and i feel like there are a lot of potentially viable ways for a musician to have a career in the music business right you know like just um like for I, simply that like for a long time the music business jobs were out of reach of most people. Like sure. like to be an engineer in the eighties, you had to know how all you had to know how to calibrate a twenty-four-track two-inch machine. Which, which is by like, the way means you set it
1: up for the tape to be able to yeah. be recorded properly and it's a bitch and I've done it. Yeah. And
0: all the machines are different, and yeah, you're so right. So it's super complicated and now I feel like it's egalitarian. We're like basically some kid can just learn software. Yeah. You know, like the Calvin Harris model sure. of like a kid, he learns software, he buys Ableton or Reason, and suddenly he's writing number one songs for Rihanna. And I feel like there's yeah there's an egalitarian. Not that I'm not even saying whether I like or don't like. No, that, th- but that's I'm just saying pointless. Like, that's almost like yeah. I just like the fact that there isn't the sort of monolithic stranglehold on the music business that used to exist. It used to be like, you know, a couple of major labels and a couple of big studios and a couple of media outlets and they controlled everything. But I, I feel d-
1: like it's, that's kind of what it is now.
0: I mean, you and oh. I made it through indie labels. You know, I mm-hmm. my
1: first deal was through a label that had 11 cents and it just, you know, yep. and, and it worked. It just, there water, you know, it, well, no, it, it worked because there was an economy for mm-hmm. a lot of... I sat down with... Do you know Layla Hathaway, Donnie Hathaway's mm-hmm. daughter? You know Donnie Hathaway, mm-hmm. obviously. His daughter is you know, Grammy-nominated, inc- just an incredible singer. And she's like, my only issue right now is that there isn't d- the bandwidth is very narrow in times where the
0: bandwidth should be really wide and wide open. I think it's wide if you're not attached to. I mean, the pop world isn't is narrow, but even yeah. the pop world, like, you look at like all these songwriters, yeah. You know, like, a lot of my friends who are, like, quite successful songwriters yeah. had bottomed out. You know, like, they were, like, struggling, doing crummy day jobs, writing songs, really? but then somehow, like... Give me... I, you don't have to... Well, divulge... I mean like, like re- Skylar Gray is a good example. Really? Like, she'd given up on the music business, had was no living idea. in a cabin, kind of homeless, almost, and, mm. like, but kept writing, and people heard her stuff, and, like, now things well, are great. Yeah, she's doing um, But I feel like, genre-wise, like... The pop world, of course, is a weird dystopian mess. But there's all these other genres. There's indie rock. There's dance music. I mean, like, friends of mine who have any chops when it comes to classical music are doing great. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of, like, orchestrating and scoring and doing certain things. So I just... it's Well, because I think at a certain point, and
1: and I, I agree with that last thing, because I know as... As the world is opened up to everybody, just doing things with software, mm-hmm. it's not. You're not learning those tools and films yep. and and artists and you know people that are have like Rihanna. Here's you just said Rihanna earlier. She needs a music musical director. She needs musicians that mm-hmm. can rehearse and be ready for her tour. You know, like those things. If you have those, if that skill set, I don't know that that skill set is. I mean, I guess there are factories like Berkeley School of Music that are, you know, they're sort of training people mm-hmm. to do these things. But, yeah, if you know how to score a film, that's not a really easy thing to and, learn. You know, I lied and just did it, but yeah. I don't know about you, but, you know...
0: Well, most of the successful guys who do film scoring don't have a classical background. I mean, whether it's... More recent guys, for sure,
1: but the, the Hans Zimmers and the... No, Hans you know, was a new wave guy. But he
0: he's well okay
1: I, I, I get the sense that he really understands theory i think he's
0: learned maybe with to, a little bit of a background
1: yeah but um, maybe danny elfman or you yeah, know he, the, the, you know definitely
0: so, what i was going to say is i feel like unfortunately there are a lot of people who spend a lot of time developing very specific skills yeah. and unfortunately and sadly they're the ones who are really struggling in this climate yeah because their skills made a lot of sense for quite a long time Mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden they don't which is very sad Mm -hmm. but then it almost becomes like the question is like how do they respond to that well and the response can either be the response can either be lamentations and the gnashing of teeth and another good name for a band (laughs) and saying like the world should do what i want it to do but like it doesn't and then the other one right. is to say like like for example me as the singer songwriter in the 80s like it didn't work out i was just a piss poor singer songwriter and the world let me know that and so I was and like, and you
1: adapted to that
0: reality and i was like oh think. okay i guess i have to figure out how to do something else right. and that's like 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 a great singer like i have a lot of friends in la who are like in their 30s and they're really great singers and they fully understand that like they're never gonna have the big pop career they once dreamed about. So they can either go to beauty school or they can work at crazy girls, or they can lament the fact that the world doesn't seem to want big, huge pop stars in their 30s and 40s, -hmm. or learn how to do other things. You know, like I have a good friend, I'm, I'm gonna not name names, but who lives around the corner from here, and she was that person in her 30s had tried for years to have a successful pop career and it never worked out Mm. she got to a certain point and she accepted it didn't work out and she started writing songs for other people and now she just bought a three million dollar house around the corner right so
1: because okay so i you know what to me it sounds because it's interesting you read a quote from someone as Mm -hmm. opposed to sitting there and talking you know hearing someone say it yeah what you just said just comes down to attitude I mean, it's like you have to have an open attitude in this climate because financially a lot. You you just said something earlier, someone being so hyper focused on one skill set, it's almost like making the most killer wagon wheel as a Model T comes down the road. I mean, so on that level, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking to myself, you know, I think just because I love music so much, I've personally maybe just because that's just the way I look at it. I've been like, well, just do everything yeah why, why not why wouldn't you do everything because a, it's great you yeah. know score a film work on a video game do a documentary you know like but i don't you know i i think when it really comes down to it
0: you know i just don't think most people have that ability but i'll, I'll to use do you as or, a perfect example for this like if you were sitting around waiting for the phone to ring uh, and you were and you were just a bass player you would probably be pretty frustrated I'm guessing, like if, if you, if well, all, yeah, like meaning like if, if you, let's let's say at an early age, you decided that you were only going to play jazz bass mm. and you wanted to have a career as a jazz bass, a jazz session player. Yeah. Hey man, hundreds of dollars. Yeah. I'm just saying like, yeah. if, I'm in if, it for if, the money. If, if you had put all your chips on that, yeah. you would probably right now, because the world doesn't want that that much it does right. sometimes but not enough so that like well, some but like what I'll you tell you what in that
1: world there are there are like one or two guys yeah they're the top and everyone else is you know
0: touring with and, uh, another guy and what you've done is what I think musicians sort of have to do and what I've done as well is like mm. you've learned how to do 20 other things so if someone calls you and says oh will you write a song for me you're like sure yeah, if someone calls you, you and says will you do the score for this this film I'm working on, you can say, short. Sure. the fact that you mm. have this diversified skill set, mm. which I really think that's, those are the people who are gonna do well in this music climate. It's and the people who only know how to do one thing, that unfortunately, unless they are absolutely the best, and in yeah. on a planet of seven billion people, it's really hard to be the number one best. Well, and event. that's why
1: when people say, I always laugh when they say, oh, you know, she's one in a million. I'm like, one in a million? There's 7,000 of you. You yeah. know, like that means nothing. I learned very early on that by failing miserably, mm-hmm. at, like, you know, I was joking earlier about, you know, DJing, I was so ill-equipped and knew nothing about that world that I even got gigs cracked me up cuz I was like DJ Trainwreck I a-
0: you might, might want to revisit
1: this cuz the technology's changed a lot oh no no I and yeah it's and- whatever I totally yeah that's very funny but like it, it what hasn't changed is the need for someone to have impeccable taste and really know how to like read a crowd and like Or maybe it has. I don't really? Okay. I used to love, I used to love the only DJing experiences I loved. I loved going to London and every time I played in London, anywhere in like Mm -hmm. Camden Town or like Hoxton Square or like what's, what's south? Um, Brixton. Brixton, like Mm -hmm. uh, you could do anything. And it was just like, you're, I love you. It was like the best feeling but i just found it's funny how the states all this has become so prevalent it's so like you know dj culture and edm and all these things Mm -hmm. it's like fortune 500 businesses now but it used to just be this thing where like i saw guys get booed off of you know it was cutting it almost reminded me Mm -hmm. of jazz like Mm -hmm. people would be like you suck that was Mm -hmm. a terrible mix you know i was like wow i thought eddie harris was mean when he would yell at me and i'm like Mm -hmm. in this world i'm like uh uh-uh this isn't right for me you know getting screamed at by your manager because you didn't do a good set you know it's like hey easy you know lighten up francis but yeah um (laughs) yeah just oh stripes oh yeah (laughs) the gift that keeps on giving yeah. but uh, okay so i'm glad because you know what i said to myself i'm gonna go break his balls you're like oh every anyone can score a video game it's like well no, no what I mean anyone
0: yeah. can learn the skills yeah if they apply themselves sure. like like you and i did like you uh, like i grew up playing classical guitar and mm. then i learned how to play punk rock mm. guitar <laughs> if i had said i'm going to be a the best punk rock guitar player, and wait for the world to give me. Jobs. Oh boy, would you be driving a bus? Yeah, yeah, I would. I would be like working maintenance at Los Feliz Golf Club, like fixing golf carts. You yeah, know? Like, and probably really good at it. Yeah, yeah, come on, you're but then. A guy. But I was like, oh, I need. I like at an early age, my shortcomings led me to learn how to do other things. Yeah, I was like, I want to be a great singer. Guess what? I'm not. I guess yeah. I have to learn how to work in a studio. But you know what, man? Yeah. I gotta. You know, it's funny. I have to give you some love because
1: you, you kind of come from that Lou Reed thing where it's like, I don't really, lo- and take this the right way, you write great songs. I don't think of you as a singer. No. And even the least. I mean, I listen to things, oh, here he comes, here he comes. You know? yeah. <laughs> All right, it's good melody. You know, it's like, I,
0: I don't, you know, this is not Sarah Vaughn, ladies and gentlemen, you know. Which in some ways. Joe Williams, you cause are not. Because we, we've both worked with a lot of singers. Yeah, well, we've worked with Lou, we work, you know, there's these. And so what I've come to learn is that a lot of times people with good voices, their good voice doesn't do them any favors. you are making me think of something, yeah. Because they rely... Like, there's some people who, when they open their mouths, whatever they sing, it sounds pretty good. And so they don't have to push themselves. Whereas you look at someone like Lou Reed, Bob Mm -hmm. Dylan, Johnny Cash, Leonard Mm -hmm. Cohen... like John Cale. John Mm -hmm. Cale. Like, people with, like, technically let's just say limited vocal ranges mm. and they because you know like like Lou Reed mm. lovely person really dear lovely friend, person yeah um but i'm just going to say like he would never win a prize for having the most melodious never voice with the most amazing range but because he didn't have that he was forced to write amazing songs yeah where like and that it's again like coming from a place where like when you uh, when you say like oh i'm i'm not good at this thing i want to be good at mm. therefore i'm gonna have to figure out how to do something else mm. um and that but i dig that you figured out
1: how to do this something else and still say hey by the way I- i'm still gonna sing and
0: yeah. i'm still gonna do this it's well, not just instrumental music part yeah. of it is a i really like singing
1: yeah
0: um b just accepted it i was like i was like you know what my mm. voice is fine for certain things like it's not amazing but it's it's perfectly fa- like it's mm. it's okay you know like the it's crusty the okay. clown motto like, <laughs> it's, not just, uh, it's not just good it's good enough yeah. um <laughs> and, and betting against the harlem globetrotters yeah. <laughs> but but, uh, but the other thing is oftentimes when i write songs I write this, I'll sing the song when I write it, expecting someone else better to come in and sing it. Right. And sometimes I either can't find that person, because, like, I'll find people with a better voice. They come in, but it doesn't have a sa- the same quality. Like, imagine, well, like, like Lou Reed could have found someone with a better voice to sing Waiting for the Man. Sure, but... And it, no, we wouldn't want to listen to it. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Nah, that's really true. Ah, Lou. Like, imagine Chelsea Hotel sung by... Debbie Boone. Yeah, like someone with like, an
1: amazing melodious <laughs> oh, voice. Oh, so, yeah. It, well, yeah, but then imagine it being sung by Aretha. I'm sure she could find a way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like when a song is great, anyone can sing it, but yeah. But I do, I have respect for that because I, I almost feel like it's one of those things... You know, in a way, uh, well, also, I mean, I was, you know, earlier I was reading on Wikipedia about animal rights and how it pissed people off. And I was thinking, well, that's your metal machine music or that's your Mm -hmm. transformer. It's like, you know, artists don't do that. That's a thing. They they, they don't make a record that's a complete 179, as it were, from their, from their you know, from their records anymore. I'm glad I'm glad
0: you didn't say 360, because that's one oh, of the. Oh, I hate that. Oh, people yeah. say, like, oh, do a complete 360. I was like, in other words, you're going to end up exactly where you well, started.
1: Well, no, I, I always, yeah. and you can't see it. I just do jazz hands and go, um, you know, I'm back. Yeah. You know, it's like, did you miss me? Yeah, I I, I, I love artists that actually will make different, re- you know, and I'm not going to sit here and bullshit you. Know? I don't listen to that record mm-hmm. all the time. I don't love it. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I just remember saying, Wait, Moby's got a new record. I'm gonna check this out. Okay, that didn't expect that. Yeah, that's. I like this track. You know that kind of stuff. But we're. I don't feel like we're in times now. I don't have to. You know, well, belabor this. I think we're in times that they are what they are. And, you don't. You shouldn't have I, certain
0: things. But and I think unfortunately a lot of well people are smart. Mm. They figure out what is gonna work. Yeah. In terms of like. Like an indie rock band will be like, oh, think to themselves, like they do one thing. Mm. They pitchfork has celebrated them for doing that one thing. And or they can ruin their career like that. I don't then, like that. And they, people, there is a lot of, I think it's a great time for music. People are making great music, but there is unfortunately quite a lot of safety. Like, yeah. I feel, I feel well, like that's why.
1: That's exactly why I bring this up. No one, you know, said, "Oh, here's my flamenco acid jazz record." Like no one just says, "Yeah, I love this thing." Here's a record. One off. Yeah. Boom. No one is doing
0: that. Um, yeah. There's a lot of, like, if we're giving grades to music, there's a lot of Bs. Yeah. A lot of Bs and B minuses. We're like, "Oh, that's good." But
1: you, you know what's like, been a running commentary on this on this show because we're mostly actually not speaking to musicians. But if things come up in in music uh-huh. sort of talk, it's sort of the George Carlin thing, and and people are going to get sick of hearing this. But it's like, you know, the global warming thing, where you know, uh, you know, the planet isn't in trouble. We're in trouble. Yeah. Like music isn't in trouble at all. It's the choices I think that are, people are being uh-huh. sort of forced to to not make. Just. There's a, an incredible amount of music out there that is just as creative and and mm-hmm. interesting as, as, as has ever been made. I just don't know that a lot of it is getting in pushed to the
0: you know, in people's faces as much as it because well, we, there's just so much of I mean like what yeah. I what I find now when I put out records is like part of my mental well being mm. comes from the fact that when I put out a record I don't really expect anyone to listen to it. You know, really? Like I don't expect anyone but, to buy it, I just, I'm just, like, i like, you know what, I love making records. Right. Put it out, and, uh-oh. I've got Commissioner to, Gordon's office. Yeah, I gotta go get the door. Okay, in all
1: fairness, you were just saying that you, you make a record and you just say, hey, well, I don't expect anyone to listen to it. I mean, yeah. I, I hear that and I say, All due respect none of this that we're sitting in exists and you make a record now, you know, like if you're if you're economic reality and you're sort of, mm-hmm. you know, you, you are sitting in a sort of a catbird seat in that respect, you you have a level of success that very few people have achieved so I, I don't want to call bullshit, but I want to say, people are going to listen to your records, man. And, Sometimes. You know,
0: so I understand that. But the, the thing is, like in the late 80s, I was living in an abandoned factory. Mm-hmm. Oh, who was it? Come yeah. on. Making music and I didn't expect people to listen to it so you've always held that I don't know if I no cuz I had a period where I really really expected people to listen to what I was <laughs> okay, doing okay so you then, all right but now it's like I just sort of accept the fact that you make a record and you put it out and I have no idea what's going to happen to it meaning there's so much music mm. and so many people are really working hard to make great records yeah and they are just there's a better than likely chance that even if you've made the best record ever it's just gonna you know
1: yeah fade, might might fade just
0: wait you know and or it might take
1: 15 years to, to soak yeah. its way in i'm a i am mean look and, at the way play started i mean i knew when i heard it i was like oh wait a minute run on that is the shit. i really really
0: love that record but it took a while i mean it really did that was also really the hardest song on the record to make there's so many vocal samples in it and this is back in the days of like my akai s 900. yes and i was like oh how do i get an extra memory for it yeah and like i'm like well if i shave an eighth of a second off of the end dude of you could have called me sample, i would have
1: been like i'll put it in pro tools and i'll just build it and I'll... pro tools existed i had 98? it. 98. pro tools 5. 98. really yeah because I, I remember used, when you I were building to... your room i came down when you first got pro tools and you just looked at it and you went what what is it what do i do like, I used <laughs> sound tools for a while. For editing. You remember that? Sure. Sound, that's oh, of course. Sound tool. I yeah. used to. <laughs> well, so. that existed in, in yeah but oh, God. I remember trying to piece stuff like that together and it was a nightmare. But, yep. All right, fair enough. I mean, it, you know what? The, the, the gist of this for me is that it's, you know, really just to get back to that first, mm-hmm. th- the last thing we were talking about. It, you know if people get anything out of a career in music right now regardless of the success you know we may or may not have had it's it really is just your ability to have a pretty good clear my, uh, attitude good attitude yeah and just i don't know i just lie yeah lying is amazing you know how many films i've done because i just said oh i could do that you know you know gypsy uh you're wagner yeah i got you. yeah boom people need to lie
0: Thank you so much. That's what we've learned. Have a good attitude and lie a lot. Yeah, it's great. Works
1: works for Wall Street. Works for me.